Hello, and welcome to the Sailing Vessel Prism's Q&A podcast. We are sitting on Prism in St. Mary's, Georgia today. It is blowing full gale outside, um, and I'm not actually making that up. It's quite windy outside, and if you hear the sound of a chirping, that is our wind generator throwing in the amps. If there's any background noise, that's kind of what you're going to hear. There might be a slapping halyard every now and then too, but that's what's going on outside. A big norther's blowing through. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about what to look for when buying a Hans Christian 33. We are not going to get into the other models of Hans Christian yachts because we've never purchased another Hans Christian yacht. These are questions that we get a lot from people who are looking to buy Hans Christian 33. And the question is, what should I be looking for when buying a Hans Christian 33? This is by far the most asked question we've ever gotten. This is not an actual question from a podcast listener, but we thought we should just start it off with this. This is by far the most asked for thing by email, by Facebook, by YouTube. We get this question literally probably once a week. This will be extremely helpful if you've actually stepped foot on Hans Christian 33s and are really, really looking to see the difference between which model is going to be the best option for you. In this podcast, we are going to go over these topics. The 33 versus the 34 and 36, the Hansa yard versus the Shin Fa yard, the different layouts, having a galley pantry, an aft cabin, or an aft nav station. We're going to talk about the teak decks, cord versus not cord, the pox above and below the waterline, bowsprit rot, tank lids leaking, chain plates, the 3QM30 engine that a lot of these boats came with, actual tank sizes, holding tank issues, rudder issues, the Kenyan masts, and the headliner. So th- those are not in any real order, um, but we're, those are all the things that when we thought about issues with the Hans Christian 33, these are all things that come to mind. And these are generally what I cover in the emails. This doesn't mean that they all suffer from this. Well, actually kind of, they all suffer from this to a certain extent. That's why we're covering these. Certain boats will by far have more issues than this though, but these are specific to the Hans Christian 33s that this is what to look out for. If we were gonna buy another 33, this is what we would be eyeing out. This, so you're getting a cheat sheet, basically what to look out for. So to begin with, there are many different versions of the Hans Christians, the smallest of which is the 33. A lot of people, lump the 34 and 36 because the prices of those are generally much less than the 33 and the 33 is actually the most expensive per foot by far out of all the Hans Christians and so a lot of people are like why do you want to spend that much money on a 33 foot boat when you can get a 34 or 36 those must be better because they're slightly larger well the 34 and 36s were not based on a Harwood Ives design the 33 and 38s are hardwood ives, which means they, they, they share little to nothing other than both of them being double enders. That's about all they share. Uh, they don't share the same yard. They don't share any of the same designs, none of the same rig. Literally is nothing is shared except for some like port light, like uh, the port lights maybe are the same, but that's about it. Well, in general speaking, you know, the 34s and the 36s, they share the Hans Christian name, but they also share the name of Union Polaris 36. No, that's it. The Union okay. Polaris is, is the, is the mold that they used. Um, and there's there's a big history you can look into it but basically it's they're rob perry designs bob perry was commissioned to design the 34 they before they he even got a full payment basically they 
took what the the rough draft that he gave them he they took that and started building the boat and i'm kind of paraphrasing the story so you got to really research it yourself but Basically, they started building the 34 and only gave him a certain amount of his commission. Then without him doing any more work on it, they stretched it out to the 36. So really the 36 is a butchered version of the 34, which there, so there's really no naval architect behind either one of those boats. And um, the 36 then went on to become the Union Polaris 36, which there was many of those boats built. Um, and they were most of them were built in the Union Yard, from what I understand. Uh, the 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 build quality. Not to say these boats are poorly built, but they are not built to the same standard as the 33s in any type of way. Vague general categories: the 33, the 34, and the 36. If you like the double ender look and you like the full teak on the inside, they do have. You know, the 34s and the 36 will give you that same type of vibe. It's just not as it's not as well designed uh, no, like not, yeah. no, not as well designed it's just they're just not going to be built to the same standards as the 33s the 38s the 41s the 43s and the 48s the true line um and what shannon's also trying to not be mean about but they they just aren't built nearly as good and neither are they laid out as good too they they are basically cookie cutter um, Union Polaris copies, or they are Union Polaris's. So if you know what that feels like, it's it doesn't give you two cabins. You're up in a V berth. There's no stall shower. The tankage is not nearly as good. It, it's and the engine access is not as good either. The, the, I can go on. The list is is long and dubious. But not to say that there are not any 34s or 36 out there that are not worth looking at because there are clean and well-maintained 34s and 36 outs out there. And if you don't have the budget to buy a 33, the 34 and the 36 is not a horrible option. I'm not trying to say that, but they can't really be compared. They're uncomparable in the sense of, yeah, in my opinion. These, again, this is all our opinions. Well, um, I'm not trying to badmouth the 34 or 36, but they're not, if if you own one of those and you've been on a 33, we've had people that do own those have been on a 33. They, they are different. There's no doubt about it. They are definitely different. But if you can find a clean 34 or a clean 36 that has been well-maintained and taken care of, they will still get you from A to B. They just won't have the deeper underlining qualities as the traditional Hans Christian boats. Okay. I think we've we've covered yeah. that. Well, um, I mean, you're just making them sound horrible, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to make them sound horrible. Oh. It's just a guy's opinion. Okay. I I it, so okay. Anyway. Being completely opinionated, if I was given the choice, if they were all the same price, there's no question that you'd want to get a 33. Let's just say it like that. That is true. So okay. that that's okay. what I'm trying to get at. If you can choose, if you had the choice of doing a 33 or 34 or 36, absolutely, I'd push you towards a 33 all day of the week. There's no comparison in the boats. And, and so that's what I'm trying to get out there. Okay. That is a valid point. Now we're moving on to just the 33s, the Hans Christian 33s. So the HC 33 was commissioned by Hans Christian Yachts founder John Edwards around 1979 to replace the Hans Christian 34 and her unauthorized stretch sibling, the 36. Various disagreements over the two boats, not only with the designer, Bob Perry, who didn't receive royalties for the bootlegged 36, but also the Union Boatyard that owned the molds meant a new 33 would be the easiest path out of strife for Edwards. By then, Edwards had engaged a new designer, Harwood Ives, described as creative with the uncanny eye for lines, and shared Edwards' love for traditional boats. 
having designed the 38T and the 38 Mark II and the 43T in the direction set by Perry, the HC33 became Ive's most technical design challenge to date, resulting in many clever innovations which helped set the course for many boats and which have been described as the golden age of Taiwanese boat building. For Ives, work on the Hans Christian boats, it's interesting to note his payment was his own HC-33 from the factory. The first boats were built at the Hansa Yard, a new yard located in Taiwan with the state-of-the-art facilities. The Hansa Yard was built by former Hans Christian employee Herbert Guttler, a German engineer noted for his genius as a boat builder, and his Taiwanese wife, Susan. Hansa continued construction from 1980 to 1987, the year Hans Christian Yacht ownership passed to its new owner, Jeffrey White. Shin Fa Industries, a boatyard located in Taipei, Taiwan, took over production in 88, and these boats, although good, never matched the exceptional quality attained by Hansa. Mm. See, I'm glad we're reading this because my memory for some reason thought 85 was the cutoff, but it's definitely no. 87. Um, on our fleet record, I have it showing that it, the yards changed midway through the 1987 yard or list boats. So, uh, hull number 127, 128, 129, and 130 were still in the Hansa yard, shifting to the um, shifting to the Shinfa yard at hull number 131. And now I've read somewhere else that the owner of hull 131 it stated that. He, that is the last boat built in the Hansa yard, so I'm not exactly sure. I would have to see the picture of hull number 131 to see if it was in fact part of the Hansa versus the Shinfa. Okay. Good, 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 good read there, Shannon. And you can actually read all that on our website, our website. because bluewaterboats.org is down right now, and I don't know if it's going to go back up. But I did all of the stuff that I just read. I had copy and pasted off of Blue Water Boats and it's on our About Us on the SV Prism website. I hope Blue Water Boats come back I, online because yeah, it's a great, it is a great website and we don't want to be just copying and pasting from them but. And I do have, it's I do give them credit. when you Before you start reading it says all of this information is from bluewaterboats.org. Got it. Cool. Now you have a basic understanding of the history and when that transition, so when the new transition of ownership happened it sounds like that's when the yards changed. And now having been on both boats pretty extensively, I can definitely tell you they are different. Um, and even though some people might not wanna admit it, the, even the interior layouts are slightly different. Like the, 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 the principle's the same, but the, the actual, and I don't really have any measurements to really back this statement up, but when you're sitting on a Hansa boat and you're sitting on a Shin Fa boat, it literally feels different and I'm not like that. You can physically feel the differences be yeah. the, between the alleyway, between the aft cabin and the galley sink, um, the height of the settees, the height of the cabin top. They're all slightly different. It's hard to put your finger on it directly, but when, while sitting on friends' boats, we've 100% noticed like this is different. And when they're on our boats, they sit down and say, this is 100% different. Like it, you feel like you're on your same boat, but it's not your boat. It's it's a very weird sensation to feel. Yep. Uh, and so that that was the biggest takeaway that I was giving so far. Not to say the other ones are bad; they're just slightly different. Um, I will also say that like just a couple of the things that are like solid teak on our boat, like, uh, and I'm not saying 
that they're all this way, but the ones I've seen, like the cross members underneath the settees or solid teak on our boat, on the Shin Fa, they were more of like a light wood. Wow, we are getting blown around right now. Uh, <laughs> we just got laid over Yeah, And there have been people that have owned both before, and they say no doubt that the Hansa boats just feel better built. But again, I'm not trying to discount the other ones either because they're still great boats. I'll t I will actually have a lot more to say about this because we are going to take a Shin Fa boat to Hurricane Boat where we did this refit and we're putting all new decks on it. We're removing the teak decks and recoring the whole boat. And I'm sure we'll have a very good understanding of how that boat is how, built yeah, compared guts, to this boat. The guts between the Hansa yards and the Shin Fa yard. We are going to do a deep dive into how they are both made pretty much. So the easiest way to spot a Shin Fa boat versus a Hansa is on the back transom of the boat, there's a big bronze piece and that's where the, um, it's between the chain plate and the cap rail and that's where the emergency rudder slides into and on the later boats, the Shin Fa boats, they have that and on the Hansa boats, they don't have that. Again, that has been true for all the ones I've seen, but I'm, I could be proven wrong. Another thing too is just a very minute thing that when you look at the chain plate tangs on a Shin Fa boat, they're much more squared off where on the Hansa boats, they're much more rounded off. So that those are the two things that really jump out at me immediately from the outside that um, I usually can spot them pretty well. So anyways, that's that's a good rounded thing, whether you want a Hansa or Shin Fa. Personally, so Prism, is a Hansa and we really like it and it, it's built extremely well. So, uh, but again, not to say a lot of Shin Fa's have circumnavigated too. So they're, they're, they're very capable boats as well. They're, they're mine. There's, There's only about boats. 30 Shin Fa's out there. Uh, yeah. 32, 32, according to our list, there's, 32 Shin Fa's and there's a hundred and... Well, and I don't have the list of the newer Hans Christian 33, so my list ends in 1992. There you go. So there's a lot more Hanses floating around there, um, and but the Shin Fa's are definitely out there too. So moving on to the next topic, uh, there are a couple different layouts of the Hans Christian 33's. The most common difference between the 33's is having a galley pantry versus not having a galley pantry. And a lot of the boats that do not have the galley pantry have converted that section in the dinette area into a type of storage. And I'm actually going to post a couple different photos um, on svprism.com underneath this podcast post to if you want to see the actual differences of the models for these. To my knowledge, this was only done on the earlier boats. These are only Hansa boats that this affects. I have not seen one Shin Fa boat with this setup. So this was earlier. Hansa boats, to my knowledge, pre-83. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone's post-83. So, and I would love to be proven wrong, but I believe this was a change in, in the end of 83. Prism is the last boat built in 82, and it does not have this. And I believe we have the first one that was like this. Anyways, that's just speculation at this point. But I think pre-82, you're looking at the bulkhead forward uh, or right next to the stove and you're looking at post 82 you're looking at the bulkhead at where the rest of the bulkhead should be in the, in the dinette basically so what you lose there is the the dinette is a little longer where a short person could sleep on the outboard side of it uh with without the, the without the pantry and the uh, with the pantry, the dinette's a little shorter where it's only sitting room, but I honestly don't see anyone could, I mean, a kid could sleep over there if you had, you know, foot space over there, but you'd be kind of in a nook. 
and it really impedes the cooking too. You lose a lot of counter space, you do lose a lot and of it's space. it's like a bulkhead right in the middle of your galley, which is kind of funky. The haunts Christians that have the galley pantry. It just opens up the whole galley in in general, and it gives you a lot more space. I spent a lot of time in the galley, and it gives you a lot more room around the stove to prepare and cook. Versus, we have friends um, that have hole number fourteen. And he definitely has the bulkhead next to the stove, which in my short time, I haven't cooked any meals on his boat, but standing there, I could definitely see how that bulkhead would interfere with my cooking style. So, yep. so uh, and not to say that can't be converted. I mean, that, that that's not a, it might seem like a big deal, but all that would really do is cut out that bulkhead and then move it back and and just read so if you if you find like a project book that has that and that's really a killer for you that really is not a big it might seem like a big deal but it really isn't that a big deal uh to move that bulkhead back and just do a butt joint um if you need to do work in that area anyways so that's not a game changer now the next thing we're going to bring up is a total redesign of the back end of the boat that not many of them have. I have no idea how many of these were set up like this, but I don't either. There's as a few. Right, as of right now, I think I have listed three. I know of three so far that have the instead of an aft cabin, they have an aft nav station. And on these boats, the satay is longer and pushed a little bit more aft. On these models, where the traditional nav station is, is just a tabletop with drawers maybe and in the aft where the aft stateroom is is actually a large nav station it's a massive nav station it is it's a huge nav station you might as well call it an office it's an office it, it's like the size nav station from like the 41 or 43 like it's a full table with like arm stretches out on both sides with its own dedicated seat that swings out it's pretty sweet if you want a badass nav station and then towards the aft where the feet go generally where the, the where the quarter berth goes into that is a bulkhead and it has a big opening there so you can get back there kind of like what we have now but it's further There's forward a, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's big but behind the nav station in the aft section of the Hans Christian 33s for this model there is an access port to the deeper lazarette yep and, and generally that's very difficult to get to back there because there's a propane locker that's built into the boat. When that bulkhead was brought forward though, you can actually like step back there and get around it, which is pretty sweet. Um, so that's, that, that, that's, a big, that's a big difference and you'll see a couple of those sometimes out there. I, one of the most famous ones that was written around about extensively was Bella Star. I know Bella Star was that way. And, and so- And I've also seen a couple um, conversions where people have uh, changed back the nav station into a quarter berth or tried to make a different use of that space. If having a separate aft cabin is on your list like it was ours, then the aft nav station models are probably not going to be for you. No. It, yeah. It, 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 there's it no getting... A, yeah. It becomes a single berth boat. That's it. There's no getting around that. But it does open up the boat a lot more though too. Like this bulkhead's not nearly as intrusive and, and the boat, the, I've heard those boats feel bigger on the inside. I can't imagine how. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that, so that those are the real two different layouts. There are some minor things that, that the earlier boats didn't have too. Like on, on the dinette, there's this liquor, like we call it the liquor cabinet, but there's this, there's this built-in holder that's on the, the table right between the table, the dinette table and the galley 
countertop there's a holder there that's only on i believe 82 like when they change the pantry that's i see those on there and another thing is also um which you could convert any of them with is the there's a built-in step for the pullman that became standard at a certain point mm -hmm. that earlier boats i generally don't see those having so and, and we also noticed that pre-83 boats a lot of the electrical panels are located underneath the steps and post 82 they are located at the nav station so we're, we're pretty sure prism was the first one to have the relocated nav um we're pretty sure prism is the first one to have the relocated electrical panel at the nav station what number are we we are hole number 38 i'd love to know what who has number 37 so the funny thing about prism is she was actually commissioned in 82 so she's a, technically in 82, but she was commissioned in December 1982, and she wasn't launched until whenever in 1983. And so we're actually hole number 38, but hole number 37 was actually launched before us. So we're right behind it, even though 37 was was commissioned in 83, we were commissioned in 82, but we were launched after Hole number 37, obviously. According to our records, yeah, they took a lot more time to build Prism than they did the boat in front of us, which is called Distant Drummer. At least that, that's what our records show. Yeah, we were we began commissioning on in December of 82 and were not launched until... So I don't know when they were actually launched, but they were launched, I mean... Their whole number was before us. Yeah, th their, their whole number is four months after us and they were launched before us, if that gives you any idea. So I don't know if we just got lucky or our boat was on the back burners. I'm not quite sure. There, part of me thinks truly, because we have a, we have a um, diagram of all these things and it says new for 83. And so a part of me feels like maybe Prism, and this is probably just because I'm I like Prism so much, but I think maybe Prism was a spec boat that they did all these changes to, and maybe and they maybe even brought this to a boat show and see how saw how people liked it because that kind of makes up for those months mm -hmm. to see if if those um, if those upgrades were worth their time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. That's that's total speculation. Oh yeah, and another difference is. Um I'm pretty sure pre-83, the some some of the 82s have it, some of them don't, uh, the location of the fridge. Some of the older ones, like our friend with hole number 14, the fridge is located on the aft section next to the companionway stairs. Our fridge is located in the aft section but next to the stove. Yep. So there's there's a couple differences there as well. And some don't have side opening. Like the, the pre-82s were kind of a mixed bag of mm -hmm. what you got. And because we've kind of seen it, everything on those, like where the panel's at, where the fridge is at, if that bulkhead's there or not. Like they, they and the, really just owner, yeah. it must, owner commissioned. Whoever Which makes commissioned. sense. When they were first building these boats, they were probably doing it almost all semi-custom. Once again, I will post pictures of these differences at svprism.com underneath this podcast post. All right, next up, our teak decks. There, this is the biggest, I think, misnomer of this boat where everyone, like there's a rumor floating around that all boats pre-87 or Hansa boats have solid decks. That is untrue. And I can say that unequivocally, it is not accurate. And the best thing I can say is we have no idea which ones are cord or not cord. We have no idea. How, I, I, well, I will say out of the photos I've seen online and the boats I've stood on, 
I've seen way more chord versions of this boat than non-chord. It feels like the non-chord was maybe a funny thing they were trying out, or I'm not sure what was going on there, but for every 10 chord boats I see, I feel like I see one non-chord boat. If that, out of every picture of every Hans Christian 33 that John and I have looked at, we immediately look at the teak decks if they haven't been removed already to see if they are chord or not, you know, if they are screwed on from above or screwed on from below. So most, and that's a very easy way to see how your decks were put on for the 33s at least. Solid deck versions of the 33s, the teak decks were screwed on from below. So you're not going to have bungs on your side decks unless the screw tips had started to poke through and somebody had drilled them out and put a bung in, in its replace, which we did on Prism before we removed our decks. So it should be said that that is not 100% a way to do it. Like if the you don't know the history of the boat, someone might have gone around and start and if like boards were starting to pop off like ours were when we bought Prism, yeah, we had to drill from above and because the headliners are not removable we're gonna get into that really soon but we had drill from above and secure them back in place therefore we had some bungs around but the easiest way is if the boat every 12 inches has bungs and they look very symmetrical and they go along around the entire perimeter and they're everywhere you look the boat's cord mm -hmm. if it has sporadic bungs all around the boat then it, there's a good chance it's not cord so um and if there's no bungs it's absolutely not cord so that that and when we're saying bungs we mean wood plugs that usually go over screw heads um or if you see little silver tips coming through or little like um they they look like black straight lines that end up happening when the tips start poking through those are tips of screws coming through so you're gonna have really good non-skid or you're gonna be in the mode of tearing that off fairly soon or grinding them down like i said and and filling them with uh bungs to 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 hide that so and, and once again i'm gonna try to find pictures to describe all of this underneath this podcast post nice. at our website so that if you're trying to figure out what it is that we're talking about, I'll, yeah. I'll try to have pictures to show what it is exactly that we're talking about. And, so, and, well, oh, and, and before we go even further, for those of you who really are not that knowledgeable in boat terms yeah. yet, and you're really not sure what the difference between a cord deck versus a non-cord deck right. is, John will get into the yeah. specifications. Traditionally boats, and this is really like 99% of all boats built, sailboats at least, have core, which basically you have fiberglass on top, you have a core material, and then you have fiberglass again on the bottom. And what that does, it builds up the thickness of the of the cabin top or the hull. Or the hull. Uh, most boats have solid hulls, but not all boats have that. But most cabin tops of pretty much all boats, powerboat and, and sailboat, are cored. And basically that, that builds up the thickness, therefore it adds rigidity to the whole boat. And that's great, and, and it, it takes down on weight too because you don't have to have so much resin and so much fiberglass. You can put balsa or foam or plywood. You can put something in between that's much lighter than fiberglass and resin, and it stiffens up the boat much more too. So it's a great way of keeping weight off the top of the boat. The negative part about that is when you start punching holes through the deck with like hardware or teak decks and stuff like that, and that leaks into the core, that would if it is wood, and a lot of times these older boats are wood or balsa, that rots and it turns into a mush. And then all of that strength and rigidity is now lost because there's nothing, it basically withers away to nothing and then there's just big voids in the deck and um, it's not good. And, and core replacements are extensive 
uh, in the sense of how much work it takes and very expensive. Uh, extensive and expensive. That sadly, a lot of these boats suffer from it because the boats that have core are screwed from outside and those inevitably start leaking after 30, 35 years and it gets into the core. And especially on certain boats with not uh, individual plywood pieces, that by no means is a savior, but um, if it's just big pieces of ingrain balsa, it literally will wick through the entire boat and rot, even if there's a leak way far forward it could rot the entire side just due to gravity uh the whole the whole deck so when we're saying cord or not cord the nice thing about the non-cord you don't have to worry about that as much you know what i mean like that th there's no core to worry about so who cares how the thing was fastened through the bo boat it can't ruin the core it can't ruin the structure the structure of the boat with that said though as we learned if you have moisture sitting under any hardware or i.e. teak decks and the top laminate is saturated with because this water has just been sitting there for 30 years because it didn't matter if water was underneath it. We learned the hard way that any water that saturated the top laminate and if you put that in a freezing environment, it will delaminate the fiberglass. I, I there. think over time it will it over time, even if you have the solid cord. I mean, the solid deck version of these boats and the teak deck is still on there and water has been sitting underneath that teak deck. Eventually, at some point, delamination is going to happen. Whether or not you're in freezing, freezing is just going to speed up the process. It, it expedites the whole thing. Exactly. So if you are looking at a Hans Christian 33 that has the teak deck still, first thing to find out, is it screwed from on the above or is it screwed on from below? And if it is screwed from up top, is it spongy? Has the core been rotten? Is it compromised? So if you're walking along the decks and it feels like soft, like, you know, you kind of feels like bouncy. It's not the easiest thing to, to fill out, especially if you've never felt it before. But it's definitely something that you should look, look out for. And if the teak decks have already been removed, make sure that the, you know, the core was actually addressed if it did have rotten core. Um, and that if the teak decks are removed, you should definitely be able to feel it. A spongy deck, you'll know if you step on a spongy deck, you'll know what, what I'm talking about. And if it was taken off and done correctly, then, you know, you don't have the aesthetics of a teak deck anymore, but you don't have the worrisome of the teak decks ever leaking again. So there's pros and cons to both sides. The sponginess thing, by the way, is very hard to do, especially on the 33s, because the side decks are so small. There's not a lot of circuit, and there's so many bulkheads in this boat that I've seen a lot of boats with very compromised cores that did not feel spongy at all. Mm -hmm. And the teak on those boats are a lot of times very thick still. And so it it could not feel very spongy and be totally compromised. Mm -hmm. Another way to, that I've seen that a core is showing its ugly little head that has core issues, if the core is wet and again, it's in a freezing environment, you'll literally see gel coat cracks starting to pop. That's from the water inside that expanding and cracking the gel coat around it. So if you're looking at a boat where underneath every piece of hardware, again, this is not 100% all the way, always the thing, but if it's in freezing temperatures a lot and you start all of a sudden seeing cracks popping out from underneath hardware and stuff like that, there's a good chance water is getting into the laminate or the core and it's making that gel coat crack. So enough about that. That's, that's very, that, that, and that can be, like I said, most boats have core. And so that's not just a Hans Christian 33 thing, but what's very unique to the Hans Christian 33s is some don't. And if you can find that, that's kind of like the Goldilocks 
thing that like that is the best like to our knowledge that's a great thing to have the boats yes are a little heavier and they are um, no insulation yeah they're no insulation either so core is an insulator too that wood or foam or whatever that is that add there's an insulation quality to that too so that's good when it's either really hot outside or really cool outside because it gives you some type of insulation barrier without the core it's kind of like being in a wine glass where there's no insulation so we we can feel our prism does not have core and we can definitely feel when the temperature drops outside it like it shoots through the boat and so that, that and when it's hot outside it shoots through the boat too not so much now that we've removed our teeth decks but um it definitely it, it, but it also cools off very rapidly too. Pros and cons to having core versus not cord. And you really just have to, you know, if you're not really into that nerdy part of the of the boat building, then don't worry about it, you know, and just deal with it whenever whenever you get to that point, so. Okay, so moving on. The, ne the next category is the pox, or that that is actually a very nerdy thing, but that, that it's actually osmosis, that she's talking about blisters. And these boats, they were built in the 80s. All fiberglass vessels that were made in the late 70s and and the 80s tend to suffer from some variation of the pox, depending on where you've been sailing. Freshwater boats, you don't have this problem. Um, a lot of boats that spend all of their time in cold water, like Pacific Northwest boats, they tend to not see them. Our Prism was mostly a Pacific Northwest boat, and we didn't see her blister problem above the waterline until we brought her to the tropics. She did, however, have the, a severe blister problem below the waterline, like a lot of these boats do, and she was peeled, which means the pre, at some point in her history, she was taken out of the water and the fiberglass layers that were compromised were peeled away. They were literally, they were ground, it was ground off, sanded off, using a peeler peeled off whichever way that they did it until they found basically good glass that wasn't compromised and it was relayed up with new new epoxy resin or any type of resin and I'm not sure if it was it's a, generally a poly. epoxy though okay yeah it was laid up with a new resin and new material to counteract that old resin blister problem yeah kind of that's what it means um, yeah, so you basically relay it in a in a in a resin that's less pervious uh, to or in, more impervious, I should say, to water uh, intrusion. And so and and basically what epox or when 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 something has osmosis issues, basically that's water getting through the laminate and reacting to the resin inside the laminate, and it causes little bubbles, and then they basically build up in, with acid and they pop the laminate apart and they, so you have like these bumps along the bottom and like she said uh our boat while in the central america air, area after being the the you know 80s to 90 degree water for a while we started getting actually osmosis above the water line and it really stemmed from the beam from the boat kind of rocking back and forth and and being really loaded down too that's my assessment. prognosis, yeah, my assessment of it. Uh, but you, they're, they're, they were extremely bad right at the beam, and then they kind of fanned out and got less and less worse as they got higher and further away from the beam. So that was a big part of our project. Um, if you're gonna repaint these boats, it's just smart to use a epoxy primer, which most of them, most paints recommend that, or require that anyways, and that would hopefully um, reduce the, the the chance of that happening to you anyways that's that's osmosis and just, it's not just hans christian 33s literally every boat from that time has a problem like this american made 
Taiwanese made. It yeah. doesn't matter. And it, even vessels who are renowned not to have blister problems, we've seen them. It yeah. it happen. It can happen to any boat at any time, pretty much. Denial. Yeah. No. It, it yeah. it's 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 it can be happen any boat, especially because there's 30 years or 35 years of ownership that you don't know how the previous owners took care of the boat if they used a barrier coat you know if a boat was using barrier coat from day one then probably it is a good chance that it's not going to have as bad of osmosis mm -hmm. issues but if if the owners you know barrier coat wasn't a thing till about 15 years ago bottom bottom jobs blisters are not the end of the world bottom line if a hans christian 33 that you are looking at has blisters above the water line it's really just cosmetic and doesn't need to be addressed unless it really bothers you and below the water line they should be addressed but once again if they're if they're dime size you can probably wait to your next haul out once they get to about the size of a quarter or larger you're definitely going to want to address those and the good news too underneath the water line is those things that's a job that really anyone can do it's there's it's not that difficult to do you do have to keep the boat on the hard for a fair amount of time to let them dry out properly but that's the hardest part about that so mm -hmm. find a cheap place to haul out if you can place that's relatively dry that you can rinse it out with fresh, fresh water and kind of it kind of wicks the bad uh, salt out of the out of the laminate and then yeah it's it, it's not very difficult to do it really anyone can do it with a couple YouTube videos you'll learn how to fill a, a blister pretty easily uh, I'm this is gonna be a real quick section and this really goes for all of the Hans Christians and pretty much any boat with teak decks and a bowsprit the bowsprit is no different on this boat than it is on all the other boats it lays on deck that means the back end of it that goes through the front of the boat that sits between the Samson posts and the bowsprit's that front pointy thing that goes that the rigging's all connected to but anyways it's a very common place underneath the bowsprit for because water gets kind of dirt gets trapped there and leaves and crap and then water gets trapped there and then just sits on the bottom of the bowsprit and it's very notorious for that being a rotten area on bowsprits and also on ours at least the original Kron's iron which is the rigging fitting that goes on the very tip of it that holds the whisker stay the bob stay and the force stay all together it's a big metal piece the original ones they, they they had not all of them no some of them do though but most of them don't have the cap we have a cap had a cap that literally slid in f over the entire tip that's a big stainless steel cap those are usually issues because water gets trapped in that and then it rots the tip out which was the case on our boat um, most of them have just a ring but the ring it's not a tapered tip so it's putting all the pressure on the flange the very front of the bowsprit and that flange when you tighten down or if you get in a big blow a lot of times there's not enough surface area mating up to that flange and it's just that hard like quarter inch piece of metal going into it and it will crack or crush through the ingrain of the wood up there and then water gets in there again just that's a, that area the very tip of the bowsprit and the bottom of the bowsprit are good things to look at you know poke around up there and see because it's not always terribly obvious and a lot of times people just slap paint over it trying to like make it look nice make sure that that area looks good um, and uh, is not compromised again that's just something to look for any boat with a bowsprit has that those issues generally. A wood bowsprit. Wood bowsprit. Like when we redesigned our decks, when we took the teak decks off, uh, our bowsprit actually sits up on spacers now. That so there's a lot of open space underneath it, that so water can drain out easily. Quite a few Hans Christians have redone their bowsprits, so that's it's yeah. it's a pretty common thing. So if it has a new one, great. If not, take a look at it to see if there's any rot because the bowsprit is a very important part 
of the structural rigging of this of this vessel. It's quite vital, and and um, it can be quite expensive to replace, especially if you're not into woodworking. They can be very expensive to have made. So that's that's something. The Hans Christian 33s have really unique tankage. It's the only, I believe that some of the larger ones had vari variances of this where they had a couple glassed-in tanks, but the Hans Christian 33 has all glassed-in tanks. So your water, your diesel, and your holding are all glass in the keel, and that's kind of part of the genius behind this boat, in my opinion. It's one of the big things I liked about this boat, too, was the amount of tankage that you get from that. You get... Well, you get larger tanks, and you get more storage on board. Yep. So on a lot of vessels, the tankage are underneath your settee and your dinette lazarette areas. So you you lose a lot of space for storing all of your stuff and or food. Where the Hans Christian 33s, the tanks are literally glassed into the keel in the in the while the boat is being made. It is structural to the keel. And that's pretty cool because that puts all the weight really low. It also, like she says, frees up a bunch of storage on the boat. And it's 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 a it's a substance that you can repair anywhere in the world. You don't have to find a welder or a decent welder that can actually like weld like cracks up on a fuel tank or anything like that. Epoxy and cloth is very easy to do and anyone can do it and you can grind into it and, and fix it. So that, I love that aspect of that. The negative aspect of that is that the placement of it kind of sucks because like if you do ever yeah. need to gain access to the tanks the location you need to be pretty good at boat yoga yeah so th there are inspection ports for all these things one of them is underneath the engine the other one is underneath the galley sink and the other one is at your feet uh underneath the dinette table and the last one is right next to the compression post for the compression post for the holding tank and uh, so it goes It goes aft, water, diesels between, or next up, and then it goes water again, and then it goes holding. The diesel is underneath the galley, and specifically just underneath the galley sink. And it's kind of half underneath the galley sink and half it, underneath a stringer. It's kind of difficult to get, not well, kind of, it's quite It's relatively easy, but if you have to do extensive work to get in there, yeah. it can be daunting cumbersome yeah yes the yeah go ahead and and uh and the holding tank's actually quite easy to get to too it's mm -hmm. it's that that one's not nearly as difficult but the diesel is the one that people generally have issues with because you get dirty diesel or you get algae growing into it i really wish the diesel was where the water was here and these were flip-flop but anyways i digress so getting back to the and so they're glassed in which is great and then the tops have stainless steel inspection plates that are glassed in with a stainless steel frame that the bolts go through with a fiberglass flange that the whole thing is glassed together and then the lid bolts to the metal frame and through bolts through the flange and the metal frame the issue with that is over time metal and fiberglass don't like really they, they flex at different rates and our diesel, all of our tanks don't leak except for our diesel tank. There is a weep on that flange somewhere. It's, it's leaking at the lid, not yeah. from down below or yeah, leak yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah. else. It's leaking around the flange at the top. At the top. So basically where the flange meets up with that metal frame, there is a there is a weep. And I'm not saying it's like a it's extreme leak. I mean, it's a very slow leak. But if you top the tank completely up and have like pr positive pressure into it, it will just weep out very slowly. I, I kind of had the mentality of I might just redesign that whole inspection port layout where it just bolts directly to the top of the tank, which I've seen on other boats do it like that. I'm not quite sure why they did it like they did it on this. Something to look out for. I suggest everyone to always 
fill all their tanks to the tip top if you're going to buy the boat and just wait, you know, wait a day and then go back in there and look for leakage. You know what I mean? And that's that's a good yeah. thing to do. The top of our holding tank had pretty much almost corroded all the way through. So cold, we yeah. so we replaced it with a plastic lid. lid. And that's been great. We've had zero issues since then. So just know that, I mean, at least for the holding, because there is quite corrosiveness going on in your holding tank, um, you might want to lift up that lid and inspect it at some point, because the odds are it probably needs to be replaced, and it's not that difficult to do. So, and then while we're talking about tanks, um, it should be noted that the listed tankage on this boat varies boat to boat, I think quite heavily. I think it really depends on how, you know, tall they brought it up into the bilge or how, you know, how it, it, it's, it's so a minute one inch between each build would be the difference of, you know, I bet three or four gallons, gallons at yeah. least. So, and, and I guess, I think it also has to do with, yeah, who was laying up your boat on what day, you know, did they make one layer of, of fiberglass thicker than the other? Yeah. So, um, on sailboat data, the Hans Christian 33s are listed at 80 gallons of fuel, eight, uh, 90 gallons of water and 15 gallons of holding. And that, so the fuel is one tank, the holding is one tank, and water is separated into two tanks. Actually aboard on PRISM, we have 80 gallons of fuel, which is what is listed. We have 120 gallons of water, so we have two 60 gallon tanks. So that's actually a lot more than what is listed. And we actually have a 25 gallon holding tank, which is a lot more than listed. The difference between the listed tank size and actual for these 33s is different. Um, we believe that some of the Shinfa boats have relatively about the same amount. The fuel is normally 75 to 80 gallons to even 90. I think we've heard a couple people who have 90 gallons. The water is anywhere between 100 and 125. It's normally a little bit more. And the holding is anywhere from 15 to 25 gallons. And then while we're talking about tanks still, um, it should be noted that that holding tank, because it's in the bottom of the keel, it's the very for most forward one, but the way the old system works is it basically, there's a, there's a bronze or copper tube that goes into it, that goes to the very bottom of it, and that copper, that, that pipe feeds into it and out of it. So when you pump stuff into it, it pumps through that, which is pumping all the way to the bottom of the tank. And there's a very small gap at the bottom of the tank. So it could, so it can actually pick that all back up when you go to suck it out. We had issues with that, that cause there is so much head it's called. It's, there's so much distance that it has to travel to get to the deck fill or manual macerator pump that we could not manually macerate it ourselves. And we had to have a, a dock side pump out to pump out our holding tank. Or an electric maceator. Or an yeah, even but the even then it the burns them up. The electric had a hard time keeping yeah. up with it. There's just too much of a draw for the glassed in holding tank for, to have a successful pump out situation unless you were using a dock side pump. Which becomes very difficult to do in Latin America because there's Extremely. really no, like except for the biggest um, marinas, there's no dock side pump outs. Yeah. So what we did is and this is gonna be really quick, but we installed in a pretty much a dead space up in the bow, a 15 gallon plastic holding in tank locker. in the anchor locker that basically acts as, a, as its own vented loop. And you basically pump into it. And you, if the if the seacock up there is closed, it stays in the, in the tank. If you wanna empty the tank at sea, you just open the seacock and it just comes flushing out. Gravity. So it's pretty sweet. Um, and that's 
relatively a new, we just addition. did that just a few months ago when we relaunched the boat. So I'm loving it. Um, you have way less hose in general. You do not need the vented loop anymore. And it's just a very clean, easy situation. You can keep an eye on it. You know what shape your holding tank is in, if how full it is, what not, blah, blah, blah. So, and you're using a dead space that wasn't ever used in the first place, at least not on our boat. Some people have converted those areas to hold extra line and storage and have, have converted it, but we decided to do it this way and we, we've really liked it. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't done it yet, I can, well, we can link you guys to where we got the tank and everything like that. Our idea with the 25 gallon, cause I've actually had that open and we measured exactly 25 gallons. Existing it, holding tank. We're gonna probably convert that to more fuel, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the plan. So just to give, it, with an extra 25 gallons of fuel, yeah, we'll be right at 105 gallons on board, plus another 10 on Jerry. Like, it gives us a huge range for this boat. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's enough about tanks. That hopefully gives you an idea. Very easy to fix if you need to fix them. Okay, moving on, the next step is chain plates. And that is by far the biggest issue with these boats. There are two shortcomings in designs with the Hans Christian 33s. One of them is that you have to remove the rudder to take the shaft out. And the second is the encapsulated chain plates. Yep. To our knowledge, there has never been a failure of Hans Christian 33 chain plate. To our knowledge. At sea. At sea. And there has been, we know at least one boat who actually cut into the side of their boat to see what the chain plates looked like. Oh, we should try to find that. We should. We that's should a, try to find that. That's an old blog. But yeah. It's so there. they actually cut from the outside, cut into their hull to find out what the chain plates looked like. And what they found was that each, the individual chain plates were held together by a um, single bar. A single bar, which was made out of mild steel, yeah. which is the biggest downfall and the individual chain plates they from the top of the cap rail they go down about 12 inches and then they turn into an s curve a, a continuous continuous bar but allegedly they, allegedly <laughs> this is from this post so it goes down about a foot and then it turns into an s shape that keeps continuing down the hole about four feet allegedly allegedly so we, when we first bought Prism, we noticed some bulging on our hull where the chain plates were located. And, and not the good, good kind. Yeah, not a good kind. This is where water had gone in and expanded and is reacting with that metal bar and is causing a problem. Or because the metal bar is mild steel, just any type of water needs to get down there and it starts rusting. Yeah, it just starts rusting. So we decided to convert to the external chain plates. I think that there are probably four or I think at least four or five boats who have done this now. Uh, so the list is growing because this you cannot check the status of a Hans Christian 33 chain plate. There's no way. You can't. There's no way to see if they're in good shape or bad shape. You can X-ray them, but that has its shortcomings as well. There's really no way to in you know indefinitely make sure that everything's groovy in there. And you got to find someone who has that type of X-ray machine, which is hard to come by. And expensive. And generally, like at, when you actually price out the cost of just building new ones, it it's cheaper than x-raying the damn things to our knowledge there has never been a reported chain plate failure on a 33 but john and i had a hard time sleeping at night just because you'd never know you know people have chain plate failures it happens quite a bit yeah um and those are with chain plates that you can inspect but the 33s they were inlaid into the actual mold of the boat and so there's no way but 
the good news is to make them external is not that big of a deal. It takes a little bit of time. Because of the encapsulated chain plates, they act as a backing plate. So you literally can just drill right through them, which is not the easiest thing to do. And it takes a lot of like time and we did it. And we have been very happy with it and we're very, yeah. So it's not the end of the world. A lot of people don't are not worried about it because, you know. They're you should be worried about it. <laughs> No, seriously, we know, at least we know personally, we were cruising with these people. It was a Tiana 37, but still, and same thing. The Tiana 37s also have chain plates that are encapsulated into the hull. Kind of. Um, and But yeah, we know them personally, and they lost their, they almost killed killed the, the owner. And um, Weeks before they set off on their passage, we told them, like, aren't you a little worried about your encapsulated chain plates? He goes, yeah, but I'm going to deal with that in maybe another couple years. Season. yeah. And sure enough, they went out and they were not in rough seas or anything. They started to cross over to the Caribbean islands out of Panama and they lost their mast about a day in. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it's a catastrophe. It's not like anything else on these boats can fail to a certain extent and it's going to be very isolated. If one chain plate fails underway, it's catastrophic. Like the it, it's usually a domino effect too, because it puts uneven pressure on all the rest of them, and they all usually fail in succession afterwards. And then you have a 40 foot mast, big heavy mast, 400 pound mast, with sails and everything coming crashing down, and it usually is pulling the backstay down across the cockpit. It's it's all bad news, guys, and it could sink your boat from the thing swinging around and putting a hole through the side of the boat when it comes down and bashing the side of the boat. It can right. kill you. No, but seriously, it's it's one of the things that has to be taken care of. Other boats like Island Packets had the same situation, and this is really the only way to deal with it. So if you're buying a 33, just I would pencil that into your calculation if you want to cruise the boat or sail the boat. That's part of it. And one more thing with the chain plates. The really great part about upgrading them to the external chain plates is because it's the the tangs are so close to the original ones, you don't have to buy new rigging. That's something should be noted too. So it's a very painless adaptation because the, all the rigging stays the same. You just literally move it over and you 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 lose, you know, it goes out another inch basically, but the, the so laterally. Gain, yeah, and you so you gain a little bit more space on deck while moving on the deck because they're out just a little bit further. Yep. Uh, you gain a little bit more um, access with sheeting angles. Yep. And also, well, to an extent, some people think that you're losing sheeting angle on that. But what we do is if we're going to go windward like that, we actually put everything on the inside of the rigging. Depending which, on which sail we're using. Yeah. yeah. Because the chain plates are so close, you don't actually have to remove the existing chain plate. You can just leave them there and just make sure that you have a good seal on them. And we use them to attach snap locks, lines, halyards. Yeah. They become an, an additional attachment point for anything and everything it's sweet and if for some reason you need to do work on the rig or take a chain plate off you could still use potentially the old ones to to you know keep the rig up i love them too because like she said we use them actually as additional genoa uh, block locations or you know jib sheet locations that it elongates your your track basically much far from, and that's really good for like high cut yankees okay that's done with the chain plates okay, moving on from the chain plates moving on to the engines on Hans Christian 33s. Not most of the earlier Hans Christian 33s were equipped with a Yanmar 3QM30. Now the 3QM30 was the first marinized engine made by Yanmar. From How, the ground up. From the ground up. However, it was discontinued in 1981. Hans Christian basically bought the leftover stock 
from Yanmar and basically put the leftover stock into the whatever 33s were in production during that time. And some 38s. And some 38s. Now, the 3QM30 was way overbuilt and is a total workhorse and is bulletproof. However, Yanmar only makes parts for discontinued engines 15 to 20 years after it's been discontinued. So, it was discontinued even before Arhans Christian was made. Basically, 19 years ago this year, the parts basically became no longer in production from Myanmar. Mm-hmm. 19, almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago. Yeah, the parts have not been made for this for that engine for almost 20 years. So finding parts are extremely hard to find and they're extremely expensive. When we left in 2014 on PRISM, we had debated whether or not to upgrade our, you know, change out our engine, but buying a brand new engine in California was going to cost around Sixteen to twenty thousand dollars, and you know, buying a with the Yanmar three QM thirty, buying a raw water pump could be anywhere like twelve hundred dollars. They're very expensive. Yeah, I mean the parts. Long story short, the parts for three QM thirties and the transmission, the KH eighteen, again, both great pieces of hardware, but they're just very hard to find and very expensive when you find them. If you're going to be cruising the boat just locally and and you can you can stop anytime you want and kind of like search eBay until you find a certain part, then it's fine. I mean, and they're great. Again, they're super robust, great engines. Ours never failed us once. I mean, awesome engines. If you're going to do long distance cruising, I'd be a little more hesitant on that engine because just the part is issue. Unless you have a whole set of spares for it, like I mean spares for everything. I just you will be stuck in a ports at some point in the future waiting for a certain part to show up mm-hmm. and that's just there's no way of getting around that and it's, it's not even the engine is like the the thing really is hard to get is the transmission <laughs> parts the, the KH18 is like a needle in the haystack to find anything for it from seals to literally anything when you do find them they're quite expensive and they are a specific bolt pattern that you cannot adapt it the bell housing is different than other transmissions so you have to build a custom adapter for it to put any other type of transmission on it too so generally it's a lot cheaper just to buy a new rig brand new we decided to just keep our yanmar 3qm30 when we first set off and we searched high and low for spare parts and we left with two extra raw water pumps and a couple of other pieces bits and pieces before we left and we actually ran into a few other Yanmar owners who were sitting stuck. stuck because they couldn't find a raw water pump and this or that and we actually helped some people out and no I, I I left I think with two rebuild kits for the raw water pump and an entire extra pump itself and I we left with spare injectors and stuff like that and yeah when we were in Puerto Vallarta a guy was leaving for the South Pacific and he had none of this and he was waiting or he was literally searching every day for parts online to have them shipped into Puerto Vallarta and he was unable to do so and I, I we just ended up giving him one of the rebuild kits but mm-hmm. it, it literally is that bad like it's it's, it's 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 dire the only reason we repowered was when the UK announced Brexit we got a very good deal on a brand new beta marine and we were coming into an area a freeze free zone in uh cologne panama and it just all worked out perfectly and we did a repower for under eight thousand dollars which is unheard of including the slip yeah that was a month in the in the 
marina and everything so we just really 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 lucked out and we know a couple of Han, other hans christians who when we got our deal they were, they ended up signing up for the same deal so there are 33s out there that have that have updated engines and it's a huge a huge checklist so but so not but not every hans christian 33 came with a yanmar 3qm30 the oldest ones the original ones from my knowledge have the azuzu engine in it which is a great engine as well brandon's boat here has an azuzu in it i know in 88 the, both of those 88 boats our friend bill has an 88 and our friend chip has an 88 they both have a yanmar 4jhe in it 4G. And that's a very common engine to this day. They still make that engine. And it's, it's much higher horsepower, too. I believe it's almost 60 horse. Um, it's a much bigger footprint of an engine, too. It's huge. And, it, and because of that, the stairs even are larger on those boats to accommodate that engine. So we have 35 horsepower with a pretty high reduction gear on it and a pretty large prop. And we have no problem hitting whole speed and going to weather with this, with this engine setup. So if you're looking at this uh, Hans Christian 33s and it has an upgraded and it's only 35 horsepower and you're like, is that really enough? Yes, it is. If it's throwing the right prop and it has the right reduction gear. I love when you talk reduction gears. <laughs> All right, another big, um, probably like Shannon said, she kind of hailed on this before, was a huge oversight on the design of this boat was the fact that you have to either pull the engine out or the remove the rudder in order to get the shaft out of the boat. And so that, and if you, you know, if someone epoxied or 5200 your cutlass bearing in the shaft log, usually that means you have to pull your shaft out to get around it so you can cut the damn thing out. So in order to remove the shaft, there's two ways. You either have to remove the rudder or remove the engine. With the older engines or the bigger engines, that's going to be more difficult. Like the Yamar 3QM30 weighs around 700 to 800 pounds. So just bringing that out real quick isn't the best option. However, like John and I with our new Beta 35, it weighs around 250 pounds. It's like 300 pounds, but yeah. Or 300 pounds. And we can easily, with a... Uh, pulley system pick that up and move it out of the way because we've done it a bunch of times so it's not the end of the world for us it's much easier than removing the rudder because the rudder on these on these Hans Christian 33s are massive and only big enough lifts will be able to lift you high enough in order to remove it yeah you and have that, to get three feet there's a three foot post above the top of the rudder so you have to get three feet at least three up feet higher than the bottom of the ground. And that's sometimes very difficult to do. Like uh, in Hurricane, the travel lift barely could get us off the ground with our forefoot the Couldn't way it is, yeah. But it, at Berkeley Marine Center, they could lift us high enough to remove the rudder. Yeah. So it just really depends on the lift and the yard. A lot of yards have literally holes in the ground to lower rudders into. Yep. Some don't, so. And you, and you just gotta factor that in the price too. Like you're gonna be paying for that lift to help you out with that. Um, yeah, so that's just a stupid thing that, and if you're going to have a new rudder built, maybe build it with the idea of maybe trying to put a notch in it or a hole in it or something like that. So you can slide the, the, the rudder or so you can slide the shaft out easier. Um, one other thing too, is most of these boats were commissioned on the West coast. Um, they, and that means they have Kenyan masts. Uh, that's the brand Kenyan. Um, luckily those, all those parts are still built today but they're very expensive um so like we learned that we we put a crack in our um forward fitting of our boom and the the sides of the it's a two-part system up there the sides of that they were 400 dollars a piece 800 dollars total 
um, it was cheaper to buy an entire new boom from uh, from U.S. spars in Florida than it was to just replace that one part. Um, another thing to be noted too is the headliner on the 33s are fixed in place and then like puttied over so you can't see the bungs where they were screwed up onto and a lot of, a lot of them are glassed in place too, which is nice. There's no squeaking involved in that. But in order to get to any hardware behind it, you're either cutting holes in the headliner and putting teak cover plates over it or you're cutting a hole into it and then filling it back in and making it look like it never happened again. We've had to deal with it both directions before. Neither one's that great, but um, if you come on our boat, you'll see a lot of teak plates all over the headliner and that's like where the tracks are and that's where the bases of the winches are and the bases of the boom gallows. So that, that should just be noted. The way that these boats are made too is that it's called, a, I believe it's considered a floating floor. That means that most boats generally have um, stringers and like I believe they're just called like they're not bulkheads but they're they're stringers that actually they connect to the entire hull the entire way down and there's many of them going up and those actually connect to the base of the floor the subfloor and that's a very strong way to build a boat but with our tanks being into built into the bottom of the boat those dividers basically are acting as that that structural support in the base of the boat but you cannot, or at least our boat, it's not teed into the top of those. So so there are massive teak lateral supports going across the bottom of this boat, bottom of the floor, and then wood sits upon that. And those are all glass into place. It's great, and, and I really like it actually because it gives you good access on everything. It, water can't get stuck behind anything and stuff like that. Uh, the negative part is though, and this is really not, this is for any boat, but a few of these boats have had a lot of water in them because there's not much bilge in these boats because it's all tanks and the bilge probably only holds about 30 gallons, maybe that, before it starts spilling over to the top of the tanks. And then you probably have another 100 gallons before it starts touching the bottom of the cabin floor. And that's not a lot in in compared to some other boats, which have hundreds, if not thousands of gallons before it starts touching the, the floor. And if you did have a lot of water get in the boat, it will be above the water or the floor. And then the bottom of these floors, ours are all epoxied or re with resin on them, but some are not. I've seen them dry too. And if they're not, then water gets in that, it rots it out, and then you're gonna have issues. And it looks like this, uh, at least two of the earlier boats did not have any type of coating on those things. And there's massive amounts of rot if water touched the, the bottom of them. Mm -hmm. So that is something that you should look for is what is the sub floor look like and yep. is there any rot underneath those stringers and the compression post and the easiest way to do that is remove the stairs open up the bilge and with a flashlight stick your head into the bilge literally and just shine a flashlight around and it'll be very clear if like it's all black down there the the underneath the floor then that's rot that that's the wood rotting away but if it's all you know blonde looking wood still and if you especially if you see it's been coated with a resin or a sealing material then you're in, you're in good shape well, black could also be dirt. You'll you'll know what I mean. <laughs> if it has a stinky smell and it looks black, and if you take a knife and you poke at it and the knife soft. goes straight into it, you got issues. So that's that. Um, and then just one last thing I wanted to, I remembered as we were talking, is that a lot of the deck hardware, um, the access ports to them are actually fiberglassed into the hole. So there isn't any access to the back end of either, it depends on how they were put in, 
uh, some Hans Christians have the bolts themselves were glassed in and you can remove the nuts. And ours is the opposite, where you have access to the bolts, but the nuts are actually glassed in place. So when you're removing hardware, you're kind of doing a full guessing game, um, like when we just did our full refit. As you start to turn that bolt, and you're just praying to God that the nut does not release from the, the epoxy because there is no way to get a hold of it unless you cut a hole into your headliner or cut into the deck itself and find it and remove it and then replace it. That is a blessing and a curse because mm -hmm. it has a very clean look to it. But if any of those start spinning in the hole, like she said, it's kind of game over at that point and you have to do some digging. Uh, luckily, we lucked out with 99% of all of ours. They all stayed in place. The ones that didn't, we cut in the headliner and then we put the headliner back in place and, and then uh, glassed it back over. That, I think, wraps that up. I, I mean, again, these are 35-year, you know, almost 40-year-old boats in certain cases. Every 40-year-old boat is going to have its set of issues. It really comes down to how previous owners have treated the boat. I've seen 100-year-old boats look awesome, and I've seen boats that are only five years old look like trash. It really, I mean, it doesn't take long for a boat to go down the tube quickly. And with sadly with these boats with so much wood on them, if it's very detrimental if you let them go. Like it takes a lot more work to get these back to a certain standard because of how they were built um, than it, say like a plastic boat or like a more production boat. So if you're looking at a boat that's really ran down, like Prism wasn't even that ran down cosmetically, but she, she was in pre pretty good she, shape. Yeah, she was in mm -hmm. fairly good shape, and it took us literally a year full-time working on this boat to get her to the shape she is. She is kind of in Bristol shape now, though, too, if I say so myself. Mm -hmm. But And all the systems are operational and blah, 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 but it takes a while to get them going. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, if you're looking at buying one of these boats, get it just workable enough to go sailing on the boat and use the boat. Make sure you like the boat before you commit all this time and money to the boat because you might get on this and say, man, this is the best boat ever. And then when you sail, you're like, eh, I'm not really crazy about how it sails or eh, I really wish it was 10 feet longer. Or, eh, I wish it, maybe this is too big and maybe it's too heavy. Maybe you want something lighter. Figure that out before you spend thousands of t hours and thousands of dollars on the boat. Making it pretty. Making it pretty and making it yours. I am so glad we did that with this boat. We did not do that with our first boat and it was a huge mistake. It was so nice to do that with this boat and figure out, man, this is like the perfect boat. I don't mind putting time and money in this because we, we have been on hundreds if not maybe even thousands of boats at this point and worked on many boats too and I will say undisputably that this is my favorite boat ever made and ever designed in its rank in its in its class for for under 40 feet no boat really holds a candle to this mm -hmm. and we are blessed in the sense of we got so lucky with prism because we came at this very green looking at hans christians we knew a fair amount about them we knew kind of knew about the solid decks we kind of knew about these things but not a lot and we bought prism we offered, I shouldn't say bot, but we offered on Prism without ever stepping foot on her. We just saw photos. And a lot of these things were still question marks before even getting to the boat. And we just lucked out. Like Prism is a solid deck, Hansa built boat. She had a lot of cruising gear on her. She was a West Coast boat. She was very dry. She didn't have any kind of funk to her. The engine was in good shape. The rig was in good shape. I mean, like it, it was 
We lucked out. We lucked out. It had, it had yeah. all of the newer upgrades where it had the galley pantry, it had the liquor holder, the the electrical panel was moved, it had the step for the Pullman, the shower was in really good shape, um, we still have the door to the aft cabin. I mean, we just really, really lucked out. We absolutely lucked out. So I will say, after being on a few of these boats, and not just because I own this very exact model, but if I believe this is this is the when this is the for, unicorn yeah. the, like prism as as good as it sounds but prism is the unicorn model where it's the solid deck with all those things that she just mentioned that is good not to say there's drawbacks of this boat because it has horrendous osmosis issues too that we have dealt with but it should be noted that that i mean there's drawbacks of it too but this is the model you want if you can get it the the biggest thing to note when you're looking at traditional boats hans christians included is that these are high maintenance boats this isn't going to be a plastic classic where you can literally just use it put it away wet and it will be fine the next weekend these boats take a lot of they need a lot of care they have a lot of maintenance if you want the teak is the teak is extremely high maintenance if you want to keep even keeping it silver is takes care um the it's very easy for the teak to go a bad way very quickly with poor maintenance um, so if you are looking into it and the teak the, the boat that you're looking at if the teak is in good shape do your research on how to keep the teak happy and you know for the love of God don't ever use a pressure washer on your teak yeah. and that should be said like but even though these are very <laughs> high maintenance they, they are very rewarding boats too you'll get more looks with these boats than any other boat it, they, they stand out in a crowd immensely everyone wants to come on this boat i mean we'll be in a, a anchorage with 20 production boats and we're still only having caught i mean it might just be because of our energetic personalities but a lot of times this boat just attracts people to it too to hang out she which has, is awesome yeah she has a timeless classic look and they hold their value though too if you if you if you take care of this boat th these boats will never be made like this again because just the quality of craftsmanship is not available at this price point anymore and the materials used this amount of burmese teak it, it, it would cost a million i mean literally almost a million dollars to make it like this if you want to make it today so the fact that you can get these for you know 60 to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, depending on their condition to me is still a steal because the, they are they will never be replicated again i mean this is just using materials not no longer available so are they good investments? Absolutely, if you want to take care of them. Um, when it comes to boats. When it comes to if, boats. If you want to call having a boat a good investment. Yeah, they're never good investments. They, but it, like They it, have pedigree. They have a hell of a lot of pedigree, and you'll always, there's always a market for these boats, too. They don't usually hang around on the market very long, especially if they're in good shape. They, these, Like Shannon said, too, like you cannot put off maintenance on these boats though like if you see something leaking you have to stop everything you're doing i don't care what you had planned that day you need to fix it right now because if you are like that the the they it will never exasperate into a bigger problem so uh yeah preventative and and constant maintenance is part of keeping this boat easy to own as much as that sounds like a paradox it's true i hope that really clears up I know that's, this is a hell of a rant for a, one boat, but uh, hopefully that was quite detailed. And um, that that's very specific to the 33. And we got kind of got into other things that are just kind of general old boat things too. Um, yeah, some of the things we touched on don't 
are not really specific for when looking for a Hans Christian, but also once you own the Hans Christian. Yep. 33. This was not a requested question by a listener yet. We just, I guess, don't have enough listeners yet. Uh, but uh, we do have one that we've already recorded, and we'll put that up shortly after this. This is by far the most frequent question we get on emails and messages on YouTube and stuff like that. This is this is by far the biggest. So if you're a listener and you have any questions about either Hans Christians or sailing or cruising or anything like that, call 805-242-1479. Uh, that'll also be in the show notes. Feel free to give us a call, leave your name where you're calling from and your message and or you can also text us and if you text us please give us your name where you're texting from and then your question thanks for listening and until next time fair winds and following seas